Welcome to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William, featuring award-winning financial advisor and former host of the Sunday Money Show, News Talk 1010, Paul Baraka and his associate advisor, William Baraka. Creating and keeping wealth does not need to be complicated. Paul and William will cut through confusing and contradictory financial advice to give you the real facts to help you invest better and enjoy a worry-free retirement. The views and opinions expressed in this video may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Securities Corporation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. And welcome everyone. This is Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William, and this is episode 46. Wow, 46 episodes. We've been doing this for about a year and a half now, William. I'm Paul Barreca. I'm here with William Barreca, my associate. And today we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, and that is tax planning. It's getting near tax season. Everyone loves that. So today we want to look at, we talked about, William and I, we talked about last fall about year-end tax planning, but we want to go into things a little bit more depth today. We want to talk about, first we want to define it. Well, you know, what does tax planning mean? We want to look at the impact of not doing it. And we want to look at different two ways of doing tax planning. One we call tax preparation. The other one is real tax planning. And then we're going to look at uh, two different sets of strategies. One for more basic situations, like if you're an employee, you know, you have more limited tax planning opportunities. We're going to talk about them. And then if you're in a more sophisticated situation, uh, either with greater assets, greater complexity, or have a corporate situation. So, so hello, everyone. And hello, William. Good to see you again. Hey, Paul. So, well, here's, uh, here's some, I bet a lot of people don't actually know how much tax they pay. Now, we did uh, what uh, the Fraser Institute does a, uh, a survey every year. And according to them, in 2022, the average family, two people in Canada, earned just over $106,000. And they paid, on average, $48,199 in taxes. Now, that's all kinds of taxes, you know. Um, Income tax, um, HST, gas tax, liquor, the whole shebang. And that is substantially more. That's about 45.3% of every dollar that you've earned. And that's about 10% more than what everyone pays for food, shelter, and clothing combined. A lot of money. And I'm guessing... That's only going to go up. By the way, that's for the average family. I'm, I suspect that the majority of people who are listening to us or watching us are may have a bigger income, and therefore they're paying a bigger percentage. So, um, so how do wealthy and successful people do tax planning? Well, I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't come in, rush in in February, say, hey, what can I do? I got to put money in my RSP. Here's what I got left over. That's not what they do. They also don't sit down with their planner at the end of the year going, oh, how do I save money on taxes this year? The wealthy and successful plan for the decades, not for the moment. And that's really, really key. Now, what can we do today that's going to save our taxes? Maybe not this year or maybe this year, next year, five years from now, 20 years from now in our state. So, by the way, just quickly, the long... what? If, if you don't do tax planning well, I did a, a quick 
example here of compound interest. Everyone's heard of compound interest. Just quick example. Uh, if you have $10,000 invested and it earns 5% simple interest, after 30 years, you have $25,000, forgetting about taxes. But if you have $10,000 invested at 5% compound, you have 43%, or I'm sorry, you have $43,219. It's actually 121% more profit, same initial capital, same rate of return. Not doing tax planning is like compound interest in reverse, not the best thing. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, Paul, but there's, a, I think, a big misconception on what tax planning is. Tax planning is not having an accountant prepare your tax return every year. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's a very good story. Great. Nothing against accountants, um, but that's not what tax planning is. Uh, so we're going to get into some, some real tax planning strategies, I think, right now on ways that people can reduce uh, the amount of taxes they're paying. Yeah. So why don't we talk first about some basic tax planning issues and, you know, or simpler situations. If you're an employee, you got less you can do. You've got your RSPs, of course, which are the, the basic for tax planning for many, probably the majority of Canadians. And we had our last podcast was on RSP, so we're not going to delve into that. Big picture, RSPs and TFSAs for employees, they're two of the greatest retirement saving tax planning strategies people can use. Big picture, again, we touched on a lot in our last episode. There's a big misconception about RSPs and TFSAs. If you're a high income earner, you should be maxing both of those accounts, um, ideally. Um, and if you look at things, actually, if you're going to be in a higher or sorry, if you're going to be in the same tax bracket when you make your contribution as when you withdraw it, if you look at the after tax numbers of both accounts, they work out the same. So again, high income earner, you should be trying to max out both of those. Now, if you can only max out one of them, you have to look at, for example, if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you withdraw versus when you make the contribution, RSP works out better. Whereas if you're going to be, if you expect to be in a high, higher tax bracket when you make your withdrawal versus when you contribute a TFSA, uh, a TFSA works better. So that's where all of our, all the planning goes into account. You have to look several years in some cases ahead, try and anticipate you're never going to know for sure, but what what do, what do you think your taxable income will look like in retirement? Yeah, that emphasizes the the aspect of planning, uh, doing regular planning, and planning is not a one time event. Wealth planning it's an ongoing process that lasts the rest of your life because everything changes all the time. So that's great. Well, the other thing too, just a quick thing on the TFSA: make sure that assuming you have a partner, you're married, you set your partner or spouse as survivor annuitant, not beneficiary. Reason It's important. If your surviving spouse is a beneficiary, okay, the, all the money in your tax-free savings account goes to them tax-free, but then they, if they invest it, it's in a taxable account. Not good. If they're a survivor annuitant, the money is, you can transfer it into their tax-free savings account. Now that's growing tax-free for the rest of their life, much better. So just a, a small thing there. RDSPs, if you have someone uh, unfortunate in the family, huge benefit there. How much can you put into an RDSP over your lifetime? What's the max allowed? Sure. So this is for, like you said, uh, people with disabilities. It's a savings yeah. account uh, meant for them. So 
So if you know someone who's disabled, you can actually make contributions for them. There's no attribution issues or anything like that. You can make contributions on their behalf. Over the lifetime of an RDSP, up to $200,000 can be contributed wow. to the account. And it's similar to an RSP in that the investments in there grow tax deferred until they're withdrawn. And the big draw point of this account is that the government will provide a match on contributions. So over the lifetime of the account, the government can pay, if you max it out, up to $70,000 wow. in grants for in, into the RDSP. And depending, there's also something called a disability savings grant, which is for lower income people that, that can provide an additional $20,000 on top of that $70,000. Uh, another big key of the account before we move on <laughs> is that um, a lot of uh, people with disabilities, they receive in Ontario, Ontario disability uh, payments, and they don't get those. If, for example, you have TFSAs and RSPs over a certain level, those ODSP payments stop. Does RDSP assets don't apply, so you can load up that RDSP as much as you want and still get ODSP payments. So again... Brings in the main aspect of ongoing planning. So the next item that is something fairly simple. Most people wear spousal RSPs. And of course, because you can split RSP income at retirement income after 65, it's really pre-65 where there's the benefit, where you can get some income splitting there. It's still worthwhile to do. I would certainly encourage everyone in that position to do spousal RSPs could save you a chunk of money if you retire before 65 or if you need that money for something else because stuff happens and you know through your life people have short-term income uh, situations they may need to draw a little bit of money that may be able to be done very very what usually what usually happens Paul is if there's a there's one high income earning spouse and another one who's either doesn't work or is in a lower income tax bracket they load up the RSP of the high income earner. And then, like you said, if they if they retire before 65, the person who has the large RSP, when they withdraw that income, they can't split it with a lower income. No. Spouse, so it's a way to equalize things a little bit. Now, one more situation where spousal RSPs can uh, can be very advantageous is if one of these spouses works past the age of 71 because as probably a lot of our listeners know, past 71, you have to convert your RSP to a RIF. You can't make any more RSP contributions to yourself. But if you're still working, you're actually still gaining contribution room. So you can use that contribution room actually to contribute to a spousal RSP and you yourself will still get the, the tax deduction. So that can be really advantageous for people in those, in those situations. Yeah. So next time, again, we're talking about some more basic tax uh, saving structures, and then we're going to go into some more sophisticated, few more on the basic side. And those of you who are listening who have a non-registered investment portfolio, and you know what happens? You want to make a change. You say you own position A, and you want to change it to position B. Oh, there's an unrealized capital gain. I got to pay the government, sometimes big money on uh, capital gains tax. So you want to try and uh, minimize tax on distributions. I know what, what we do, we, we buy a lot of index products, low cost index. So there's not a lot of movement. You own the index, you're not going to change it to another index. That reduces the potential 
for paying tax early on realized capital gains, little things like that. Um, another item, if you're in a basic situation, is really structuring your retirement income to save money. So, and this is in a situation where you may have multiple sources of retirement income. You know, you have your government benefits, maybe an RSP, a non-registered account, maybe you have corporate money or rental income. Private okay. Pension. Private pension, a good, good point. So how do you draw that out to save the, to save tax? And it can make a big difference. I mean, we did uh, one for one of our clients and they, we did two different structures, one withdrawing the registered money first and one withdrawing the non-registered money first. And the one where we withdrew the registered money first, they added up, listen to this, with an after-tax estate of $2 million dollars more. This is not small change. This requires some serious planning, especially if you have multiple sources of potential retirement income. You want to make sure your advisor it puts these down. What's the best way? Look at a few options. See and what sometimes the best one it is. can be, like you said, the, the other way around. That was one situation. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. Situation to situation on there's multiple variables that, that come into play. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, well, like like I say, you can have five different people in the exact same financial situation, but they may require five different strategies because people are different. Their attitudes towards money are different. Their background is different. What one person or one couple is comfortable with, the other person says, no, I, I, I don't like that. So again, the planning is key and understanding the client is key. So let's move on to some more sophisticated tax planning issues. Uh, first one we don't talk about much anymore, and that's second generation of income. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, let's say that you have a couple and uh, one one spouse has a large uh, non-registered account, and they're paying tax on that. Well, you'd like to get some money over to the other spouse, which is often in a lower tax bracket, or maybe they're not paying any tax. Now. We've had people who just do that, and it's not legal. You can't just start sending money to your spouse. But what you can do is you can send them the second generation of income. So let's say you have $100,000 invested. You're in 5%. You're in $5,000. That money belongs to the person who owns the account. However, you can take that $5,000, and you can put it into the spouse or partner's name. And the growth on that, is legitimately taxed in the spouse or partner's name. So it takes a little bit of, of keeping track of, but it works, it's completely uh, acceptable. Here's another. Okay, so we're talking about more sophisticated ways to save taxes in your if you're in a more complex situation. We just talked about the second generation of income. What about if you have, maybe you have a, a, a capital loss on one of your non-registered accounts, and your spouse or partner has a capital gain. Well, wouldn't it be nice if you could take that capital loss and give it to your, your spouse or partner so they can eliminate the tax on the capital gain? You can. It's completely legitimate. I, I don't want to, it's a little bit complicated. It involves the person who has the capital loss selling their security and their spouse or partner buying the same security before 30 days. 
And then if they own that for more than 30 days, they can sell it and they will able be able to use the capital loss from their spouse to shelter the capital gain there. Now, it's a little bit more detailed than that, but for the purposes of our discussion today, people should just be aware that that is a very possible and legitimate tax planning strategy, transferring capital losses from one spouse or partner to another. So that's great. Another more sophisticated is, well, again, let's say that one partner has a big non-registered account paying tax on all the investment income, but their spouse or partner pays very, has no large investment account, pays no tax, and they're paying a lot less tax. Well, you can loan that money to your spouse and they will pay the tax on the investment income. Now, you have to set up a loan, you have to pay interest on it. And this worked very, very well when what they call the prescribed rate was very low a few years ago. Quite honestly, right now, the government a mandated prescribed rate is, is high. It really doesn't make a lot of sense today. But if interest rates come down again, that can be a very, very effective long-term planning tool. For those moving on to people who may have businesses, well, hey, did you know that you can loan your spouse or partner money for a business to start a business? And that doesn't uh, uh, attribute back to you. That spouse can use that money, start up a business, earn income, and that money is not attributable to the loaning spouse. If you have a uh, another thing, let's say you have a small business corporation. Well, of course, you can issue shares to your family members, your, your spouse, your, your partner, your kids, and that allows you to often pay them dividends. Uh, sometimes uh, it's not uncommon where you have to, they need to work for that legitimate hours. However, you can use something called a family trust where the family trust can own the business guess what? You can now transfer money. There's some restrictions to children, partners, and they don't have to work. There's no requirement that there be any work. They are a beneficiary of the family trust. You can send them dividends. Now, one change in the last few years, you cannot use that strategy for adult children between the age of 18 and 25. The government took that away. But uh, again, can work out a very, can work out very, very well. The other thing, if you have a small business, a family trust can allow you to multiply, this is great, your $1 million capital gains exemption by all the beneficiaries in your family trust. So let's say your family trust owns your business. Let's say you have a spouse and two kids. Well, now, instead of $1 million tax-free capital gain, now you can do up to $4 million capital gains. Wow. That can be a very, very big savings. Again, not for everyone. There's nuances of this, pros and cons. You want to do serious, again, emphasizing the planning aspect and dealing with a, a, a professional experience advisor in this particular situation. Where else? Now we're talking about, hey, how many people out there have said, geez, you know, I'm gonna, I've, I own a cottage. I want to leave it to my kids going to be a big tax bill. Who's going to pay that? Or you have a business, and there's going to be a big tax bill. Or just you have a big tax bill from an investment portfolio. Well, tax on the estate, there's, there's a couple of ways you can do this to save money. One, you can, you can do nothing. And that's what a lot of people do. And then when they get older, 
they go, geez, I wish we'd have done some tax planning on this. We're going to have this big tax bill in our state. Now it's really, it's too late to do anything about it. So by the way, if you do- You should set it up more, Paul, is if, like you mentioned, if there's a family cottage that the family wants to pass on to the next generation, a lot of times in those cases, there's a huge unrealized gain um, that's due in the estate. And oftentimes the kids don't have the resources to pay for it. So sometimes they- Rarely. Rarely. It can be massive. If you've had that cottage for a long time, it can be a huge unrealized gain. So yeah, sometimes the kids just don't have the resources to pay for it. And sometimes they're they're forced to sell it because of tax reasons. Yeah. And that's not what the family often wants. So, and by the way, what happens when you pay things, when you say, oh, I'll just sell the asset to pay the tax. Now you're setting yourself up for an estate sale. And what do people look for when they go to an estate sale? They look for a deal. What can I get cheap? So for example, let's say you want to, and using the cottage situation, someone passed away, taxes due, but the market for cottage property has gone down like it has in the last year or so. Oh, maybe it's worth two, $300,000 less what it was a few years ago. Well, if you need that money, now you got to sell it, lose on the property values. And the same can be for an investment portfolio. If you're forced to sell that, at a bad time in the market, uh, uh, you maybe lose 5, 10, 15, 20% or more of the value. And it took a long time to build up that value. So what are some options on the estate aside from doing nothing? Well, one thing you can borrow the money or your, the estate or the kids can borrow the money to pay the taxes. But then, of course, there's a couple of questions. Will they be offered financing? Will they have the the uh, financial um, backing to where a bank will say, yeah, we'll lend you the money? And secondly, now you got to pay interest on that. So essentially, your tax bill has gotten bigger. You got to pay not only the tax, but you got to pay the interest. Not, you know, not always the best solution. There is an, a solution by using tax preferred estate insurance. And I'm just going to give you a short example here that uh, that we built up. And this is this is comparing. Because the tax has to be paid one way or the other. Let's compare doing, um, we have, let's assume that we have an estate tax down the road at a little over $400,000 that we've done in our planning. And we can either put away $10,000, and these, these numbers are not exact, 10000 but let's just say $10,000 for 10 years. And then that another 30, 20, 30 years later, or we could put that same amount of money over the same length of time and earning, say, 4.75%, and that's taxable at 50%. Well, look at this. By using the insurance, you have a net estate at age 95 of $432,000 after tax versus $232,000 by just putting that same amount in an investment account. Now, again, every situation is different. Some people are are more cognizant of risk than others. But again, this is a very, very tax, uh, estate insurance can be a very efficient tax tool. That's why, by the way, wealthy people, they buy very, very large estate insurance. It provides the exact amount of money you need exactly when it's needed without tax. 
It, it can work, Paul, but I also just want to let our listeners know, I also see permanent insurance frequently missold. Please agree. So for example, I've come across frequently people who have huge permanent insurance policies when there's no clear state need, maybe they don't have their RSPs and TFSAs maxed out. Maybe they don't have adequate, they're young and they don't have adequate, adequate Agreed. Absolutely. disability insurance. So as you've outlined, it definitely can work in the right situation, but also be aware people out there, make sure there's a need for it because I have seen perm insurance frequently missold to people who don't have that need. Now, if you're a corporate owner, when you use uh, estate insurance owned by your corporation, the benefits are multiplied. And again, I'm not going to get into it here. This is something for another time. Uh, you're able to draw money out of your company tax-free using company something called the CDA account. We're not going to get into that, but using insurance can multiply the tax-free benefits of this. So if you own a corporation, again, this solution is not for everyone by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a tool in your arsenal that you can deal with your planner, your tax planning people that might make a lot of sense and might save you, your estate, your family, a significant amount of taxes. So I think we're getting up to time to wrap things up today, William. Yeah, I um, think so. So we went through a number of different items today on tax planning, uh, a number of strategies for uh, you know more s- uh, simple situations. If you're an employee, you have limited amounts of tax planning tools available. And people in more sophisticated situation where you maybe have larger portfolios, more complex situation, or if you're a business owner. So that's it. So, hey, believe it or not, we're going to do another podcast in two weeks as we always do. And the next one, next podcast, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about what this show is all about, retirement planning. And we're going to look at seven big and often misunderstood risks that your retirement plans can have. So we're going to go through them individually. Here's the risk. We're going to talk about that in two weeks on our next podcast. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, If you like what you heard here, please, it would be a great uh, help to us. Pass us along to someone you feel that might also benefit from this information. Uh, And also check us out on social media. You can find uh, Paul and I both on LinkedIn and you can follow me on on X as well. So again, thanks everyone. Thanks, Paul. And uh, and we'll see you in a a couple of weeks. See everyone in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye now. This podcast was brought to you by West End Wealth Planning, an award-winning wealth planning practice catering to small and medium-sized business owners and to those looking to create a worry-free retirement for themselves and their families. To learn more, go to westendwealth.com. Don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.